Hi, I'm George Spiridi, and I believe 5G has the potential to bring along a massive change in the way we live, work, play, and even perceive the world around us. This is Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World, the usually weekly podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer that important question. First, in an effort to get to know our guests a little bit better, we like to pose three questions from the Proust questionnaire. George, are you ready for those? Absolutely. So question number one, what is the quality you most like in a person? Well, Sean, it's authenticity. And uh, I'm drawn to people for their consistently genuine, unfiltered, unmasked version of themselves. Most of the time I find that authentic people tend to be thoughtful, courageous, genuine, confident, uh, vulnerable, uh, of course, curious. And that people that exhibit this quality seem to um, effortlessly embody all these other characteristics. Sometimes highly authentic people can be authentically obnoxious. But even then I, I must tell you that I tend to appreciate these people because what you get is who they are. They're genuine. And uh, I appreciate that even if it rubs me the, the wrong way. Uh, I, I also find that people with high authenticity have uh, uh, higher integrity, whether they're interacting with, with a friend, a spouse, someone important, someone not important at all. They tend to always remain authentic. And that's why I place authenticity at the top of uh, my list of qualities I value in others and um, continue to strive towards that for myself. If you like obnoxiousness, you'll love this interview. Question number two, George, who are your favorite writers? Well, um, it's, it's a cliche, right? But I, I love reading and growing up, I was always uh, fascinated by fiction and science fiction in particular. Uh, as I'm, you know, getting more mature, maybe even getting older, I find my interests are shifting more towards nonfiction, uh, whether it's business, psychology, economics, science in general. So my current favorite writers are Daniel Kahneman, Jim Collins, and Arthur C. Clarke. And um, uh, with Kahneman, I think, you know, he first surfaced on my radar when he won the Nobel Prize in 2002. And then he published a book that kind of summarized his research back in 2011 thinking fast and slow. And I, I really looked at it as a more accessible way into understanding his research and uh, looking at ways to find, to identify the cognitive basis for the common human errors that uh, often arise from relying too much on heuristics and biases associated with intuition. I think over time, my initial enthusiasm for his uh, work has diminished a bit. And uh, now I, I kind of look more at it as a, perhaps too much reliance on anecdotes and sort of clever uh, tricks that are easy to fall into. Um, when, I, when I move on to Jim Collins, I find him a fascinating individual. There are two books in particular that uh, have a special place with me because I think his, his uh, research is very methodical, data-driven. And his books reflect that. And those are from good to great and great by choice. And, and now because he's structuring his work so 
methodically, there's many things to talk about, but the, but the two things that resonate with me have to do with the flywheel effect. That's something he wrote about in Good to Great, which is basically the additive effect of many small initiatives that act on each other in a way similar to compound interest. Uh, this is somewhat famous because allegedly Jeff Bezos at Amazon has adopted this in the early uh, stages of uh, running Amazon. And it's credited for being part of why Amazon has been so successful. And I often wonder if 5G could work a bit like the flywheel effect, where you know when you start talking about connectivity promised by 5G deployments in a near real time, ubiquitous manner, that has the potential to start another flywheel uh, effect that will eventually change the way we perceive the world around us. And then uh, the uh, other concept or characteristic that he highlights is return on luck. Not luck as in gambling necessarily, but luck as in chance occurrences that good or great companies in his terminology can often embrace. So I want to wrap this up with Arthur C. Clarke because I've, I believe that uh, his work as a science fiction author speaks to a lot of the massive changes we've seen in the second half of the 20th century and are still experiencing, but also because he uh, contributed a lot to popularize science progress in general. He's credited for bringing up uh, for public consumption topics like uh, satellite communication, geostationary satellite orbits, the internet, and other, other topics like that. And um, I, th I think what sets him apart for me is not just he, he wrote uh, the book that then became uh, Stanley Kubrick's movie, 2001, The Space Odyssey, but also the fact that um, he understood the importance of science fiction in shaping the way society accepts progress. One, one line that um, I like, and, and it's widely known, is um, he's credited with uh, writing that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And um, uh, I, think, I think that's a very powerful statement and it speaks to a lot of uh, what we see in our daily lives these days. And third question, George, what is your current state of mind? I'm positive and hopeful. And uh, we were talking a moment ago about science fiction and arguably the events of 2020 would have made a bad science fiction um, novel um, a year ago. However, I think that, you know, first of all, in, in uh, our industry in telecommunications, we were actually rewarded with the confirmation of being able to use what we do for positive improvements in society. And, and I think we've also had an opportunity to learn and reinforce that what we do brings along a clear societal good, whether it's online education, telehealth, work from home. I think it's fair to say that our industry has been able to withstand the challenges brought about by the pandemic and helped all of us. And this is particularly relevant in rural communities uh, where the pandemic and the response to it have renewed the focus on what Joan is thought to be this digital divide that we all agree needs, needs to be addressed, closed, improved, with changes in, in, in the areas that have to do with uh, remote work, remote access to education, and uh, uh, telemedicine. And I, I personally, I believe that these changes 
and this is the reason why I'm hopeful, is that uh, these changes in demand have created an opportunity to transform rural communities. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to focus in on how 5G can uh, impact rural communities today, George. And on this show, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about that kind of aspirational future state where technology is indistinguishable from magic. But today, I, I want to focus in on this more near-term localized impact that enhanced connectivity can enable. So maybe at a high level, uh, and given your, your purview within Ericsson over regional operators, can you maybe break down for us the, the current priorities in these rural and smaller markets and, and just help us understand how important is 5G really to these companies and their customers today? Well, I, I think the um, impact of 5G to uh, the rural operator communities anchored in uh, the trajectory rural economic development has taken over uh, many years now. And one analogy that I like to use is when you reflect to what was the focus of uh, economic development in rural parts of the countries at the beginning of the 20th century, it was building farm roads that connected to urban markets. And just as that was the economic development effort more than 120 years ago, rural communities today are focused on breaking or addressing the digital divide between the rural and urban parts of America. This is not something new. A study that Pew commissioned um, last year showed that rural communities lag behind in several important metrics. When you look at rural penetration for fixed broadband, for instance, that's only 63% compared to around 75 to 79% in urban and suburban areas. And mobile broadband rural penetration was 71% versus 79% for both urban and suburban areas. And why is this important for the team that uh, I work with at Ericsson is that uh, we're looking after uh, quite a few customers in this space in the United States. We are uh, working closely with uh, about 100 or so rural operators that provide coverage in 39 US states and territories where about 60 million people live and work. We work with eight out of the top 10 rural operators. And I think we've, over time, because most of our customers have been with, with Ericsson for 10 years or more, over time we've built a relationship that goes beyond uh, just simple business uh, pursuits. And, and you know, we know each other's families, we know about important events in their lives and, and so on and so forth. And so up until the pandemic events occurred, I think when you look at the focus of uh, deploying broadband in rural markets, it was typically anchored around things like meeting the needs that consumers have in terms of internet access, serving local businesses, enabling anchor institutions in the local communities to work well and granting these rural operators the chance to come up with competitive service offerings in relation to what uh, uh, national or other uh, service providers would offer. All this with, with the goal of providing access to the growing part of the overall economy that are capitalizing on the positive effect from broadband connectivity. So that was kind of the uh, 
historical thrust effect and, and mindset. And 5G was primarily meant in that context to meet consumers' demand for internet access, help the rural operators remain competitive with their offerings. But I think what happened now is that the pandemic is shifting our priorities on, on the three fronts I mentioned earlier, remote education, remote work, and access to healthcare uh, remotely. And my argument is these overall act to accelerate the interest in 5G in rural communities. Because I think when you look at uh, remote education, for instance, getting broadband access to schools has always been a priority. However, in the context of uh, lockdowns or other restrictions, this is getting even more urgent for each community to, to address. Similarly with remote work, when the transition from to work from home occurred, that, that was largely happening uh, overnight. So any, any worker in the, uh, let's say in information driven economy could use their laptop and the video conferencing application to leverage their home broadband, start working from home right away. But this transition in rural areas was a little bit more complicated. And so I think that um, this is compounded the interest in 5G for rural uh, communities. Also because now remote urban workers that had the opportunity to perhaps maintain a second home in a, in a more rural part of the country realized if I'm working from home, there's no sense in necessarily staying in, in, in the city. I could easily do the same from there provided I have access to, uh, to broadband. And so I think that uh, rural communities now feel a lot more incentivized to assess the role that broadband infrastructure plays in attracting digital workers and 5G availability is going to be a, a must. And the last, the last thing that I wanted to bring up in this context is uh, remote healthcare. And I think traditionally and historically, it's well understood that access to healthcare is challenging, um, if, even in the absence of uh, uh, an event like the response to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. But what the pandemic has done, I think it broke, it broke some of the let's say obstacles for access to remote telemedicine type of services. And this is opening up a long-term opportunity for basic primary care in the form of limited healthcare providers locally that can be supported by doctors and other medical specialists accessed remotely. So you mentioned three big buckets there, working from home and then uh, remote education and then also this uh, need to extend healthcare into communities where it's not readily available. And uh, COVID has obviously put the, the need to, to do all of these in sharp relief, but I wanted to maybe pull out uh, education. You know, we hear a lot about the homework gap that comes up in FCC meetings fairly regularly, but I think it's been made very real and very pressing uh, in the past few months. So. Maybe you can tell us a, a little bit about the work that Erickson did in Vermont with, with VTEL and, and how that kind of focused in on broadband access as a way to provide uh, equitable educational experiences. This is uh, something that we're particularly 
proud of being able to, to do to help our uh, regional connect community. Uh, when, uh, you know, going back to March, we worked close with uh, Vermont tel Telephone, VTEL, to help their local community cope with the consequences of the lockdown that was instituted by local authorities in response to the pandemic breaking out. And I, I distinctly recall thinking that, you know, as a, any other American, um, I'm not just busy with day-to-day -day life, but my kids at that point also had to stay home and uh, um, shift their uh, studies to a virtual environment. Now, for me, living in Plano, Texas, that's an area that has consistent high-speed internet access service. So my uh, biggest problem was uh, not access to online classes, but rather keeping peace and quiet in, in the family unit. Um, now, the problem that uh, happened in, uh, in the Rutland uh, School District in Vermont was that uh, that community realized that uh, children attending Rutland High School had a problem of being able to access uh, education uh, remotely. The uh, director of technology for the Rutland City Public Schools reached out to the broader community, thus uh, Vermont Telephone, Telephone Vitel, to find ways to make sure her students could remain connected even when, when at home. And this was really challenging for, for the Rutland High School students because many families in the city don't have sufficient broadband connectivity. VTEL, which has been one of our customers in Vermont and uh, we've had a long relationship with them over time, uh, reached out to, to Ericsson because they understood that the fastest way to bring connectivity to the families of Rutland was to provide fixed wireless broadband service. It doesn't require digging trenches or connecting lines. You can essentially cover an area quickly. And uh, when they reached out to us, they said, we have this situation, the community needs help desperately. And we wanted to prioritize and respond in, in kind to uh, make this uh, problem, uh, address this problem as quickly as possible. So we've expedited the delivery and installation of uh, next generation 4G, 5G capable wireless radios and antennas on a building that uh, VTEL had selected. Um, this was uh, deployed in under 10 days from beginning to service, uh, op to operational service. And um, VTEL, along with one of its uh, sister companies in the area, delivered wireless modems and routers to homes of uh, students attending the Rutland uh, uh, High School, while the public school district delivered Chromebooks to uh, the students, thus ensuring that uh, the community could quickly catch up and minimize the disruption. And you know when when you think about these uh, these kind of stories, there's several things to be said. Well, I think obviously there's the operational aspect. You know, normally these type of projects can take anywhere from weeks to months because of a variety of factors. But it's remarkable when we all come together with the mindset of affecting change. It's uh, another way of of putting this is to say this is you know the best of human spirit initiative during difficult times. When people come together as a community to solve problems that particularly help 
the younger generation students learning. Um, it's not just going to be better for the students, their, their families will benefit as well. And um, um, it's, it's helped us, I think, cement the why we do the things we do and, and give us a sense of th this, is, this is a, a positive societal good towards which we can all contribute. George, earlier you you talked a little bit about um, farm to market roads as this uh, uh, focal point of infrastructure investment to connect uh, rural America to to urban America and and thus to a broader economy. And so, you know, we kind of recontextualize that to think of connectivity as the the road that allows for that access to a larger economy. And and I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about what you've done in Alaska with GCI, uh, particularly that relationship that you can see established between a rural carrier like GCI and then a, a tier one carrier who may not see the upside in deploying infrastructure in such a, a challenging environment as they are accustomed to working to there in Alaska. GCI was the 22nd and second 5G network announced in 2019 out of more than 15 other rural regional operators that are going through various phases of 5G modernization. And um, in June of last year, they've announced a partnership with T-Mobile, allowing their customers using 5G capable smartphones to tap into 5G services while roaming in Anchorage, Alaska. The uh, first call occurred in June of last year the commercial network services were launched in April of this year, and uh, the uh, network modernization just completed uh, recently, uh, particularly in the Anchorage and surrounding areas. Right now, uh, the company is looking at the 5G build-out that they've done in Anchorage as a model for their efforts uh, moving forward to expand service across other parts of, uh, of Alaska. So what, what have they done concisely is um, they've rolled out about 80 sites with a network upgrades on five frequency bands in the Anchorage area. Uh, they, their expansion opportunities in the future, I think, are going to target other communities in Juneau, Fairbanks, and other communities that uh, they cover with their uh, fiber um, network reach currently. And it's interesting to, to bring this up in the context, okay, but what does this mean? You launch 5G, uh, announce it publicly, or you know, you're going to talk about what does that mean to subscribers and citizens of Alaska. And I think this topic came into discussion recently when uh, GCI went through their quarterly earnings call uh, sessions with, with the analyst uh, community. And um, they mentioned several very interesting takeaways. Uh, for instance, they, they were calling out during their Q2 earnings call uh, a couple of months back that, that because of the rapid improvements in their 5G network, they had uh, revenue generating wireless line increases in the second quarter versus the first quarter of this year. And um, that led to about a 6% revenue increase due to customers selecting higher value plans. Uh, 
And I think that's that's uh, calling out something important because you see this notion that uh, being a, an early adopter of a new technology comes with a certain amount of risk, but it also comes with a certain potential reward associated with it. And I, I believe this is this is a really good illustration of, of that idea. Uh, now they've, uh, as I said before, by Q3, they've completed the deployment. We've been very fortunate to be able to be part of that uh, project and help them out with it. And uh, most recently, they shared publicly the information that they've commissioned the drive test on the network in September. And uh, the results were, in their words, quote, fantastic, end quote. Their network was twice as fast as their primary competitor with substantially fewer drop calls. Uh, their uh, GCI Alaska CEO, Ron Duncan, uh, mentioned this in, in his comments to the analyst community. And I think he, uh, he said that uh, he was speaking to the, the fact that deploying 5G capable radios supplements the 4G installation and greatly increases the speeds on the 4G network, which was very well received by, by customers. Uh, and um, I, I think that uh, setting aside the, the revenue increase per se, this is also correlated with uh, growth in postpaid wireless lines that they've been experiencing. And uh, I think you can make the argument that uh, meeting the demand for increased broadband speeds is a, is a fairly robust use case, at least in the initial uh, deployment of, uh, of 5G technology. I also wanted to talk a little bit about healthcare. Um, you talked earlier about the uh, big increase that we've seen in, in remote uh, healthcare through COVID, but uh, for that, you know, you don't necessarily need 5G, you certainly need connectivity, but Ericsson worked on a really interesting uh, trial in Canada last year that I think speaks to the role of 5G and the idea of bringing more advanced uh, healthcare and, and potentially more positive patient outcomes into rural parts of the world. So maybe you can uh, tell us a, a little bit about that that trial and, and give us some context on why this could potentially be very significant for people that live in rural areas. So uh, this, this is a, a demo that we've done in uh, Canada. And uh, we've uh, talked about this at the Mobile World Congress in LA at the end of last year. And uh, the demo involved using a drone beyond line of sight to deliver a defibrillator to trained medical first responders that were helping out with an emergency. The um, main use case here is being able to rapidly deploy life-saving technology where it's needed and when it's needed. And it's one way to show the additional value of the network beyond what we know or can imagine today. One, one way to think about this is in a life or death situation, particularly when you're isolated, whether because you're traveling or you live in a more uh, sparsely populated uh, community, uh, rapid access to technology that's available can make a difference. And uh, being able to make use of uh, network connectivity, low latency, and combine and orchestrate the emergency response like this, I think adds a lot to the value that the 
infrastructure that rural operators and regional operators are considering to build as a way to help support their communities. Now, one another a different way to think about this is if you reflect back to say 2007, 2008, when 4G LTE was first emerging, no one knew then that that technology will fundamentally and severely disrupt a couple of industries that look to be setting their ways at the time. You know, uh, taxi camps is one example. Hotels, another one. And now, and now you have Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, and others that have capitalized on the advances provided by 4G to completely disrupt very well understood and uh, clearly um, and, and um, industries that had a long tradition of working okay. So there's a lot of potential that 5G and the ongoing deployment and rollout of this technology is going to help streamline, disrupt, and create many new opportunities in a variety of other directions. Now at Ericsson, we have been using drones not just as illustration for 5G network use cases, but we've also incorporated using drones as part of our ongoing deployment and rollout programs for a couple of years. And these are, you know, these are not trials or proofs of concept necessarily, but uh, operational drone use cases. I can mention three at a very high level. So for example, we use uh, drones to conduct uh, RF network measurement campaigns. We also use drones for site survey where a drone will fly around the site or location to capture conditions as they exist before we um, take over that site for a particular project. And we also use drones to ensure precise alignment for microwave pathing over terrain that helps us gauge the right path and look for any kind of uh, obstructions. And it's one of those transformations that are facilitated by the availability of uh, pervasive broadband coverage, high bandwidth, high speed, low latency, to the point where controlling those drones is feasible in the context of these kind of uh, uh, uses. We have, believe it or not, you know, there is a job description at Ericsson to be a drone pilot. So we have uh, a handful of people that are uh, certified as uh, drone pilots. And uh, we have been using uh, several hundred other pilots on an as needed basis uh, from, you know, a variety of projects. And uh, part of the reason why we do this is not just because it's, it's, um, it's cool. And I think like everyone else, I've been looking for great excuses why I need a better drone for Christmas, but it's an actual uh, improvement in terms of our operational costs. So it's uh, helping us avoid costly site revisits. It's reducing costs. It's making the whole deployment and rollout process a lot more um, quick. So to get back to this question of, of will 5G change the world, there's this tendency to kind of look at that at this grand global scale, but maybe that's not the right way to come at it, thinking of it as this panacea for any sort of uh, business problem. 5G is your solution. Is it maybe more apt to, to take Collins's approach where 
there's not going to be a single defining killer application or, or action, but maybe there will be that flywheel effect where the process continues incrementally until a breakthrough occurs. Absolutely. And I, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more because, um, you know, when, when you look at the flywheel effect and Collins makes this point very clearly, he, he talks about how, if you imagine trying to get this massive flywheel to start moving, you're going to, you know, try and push it a little bit and maybe it's going to shift an inch or two, and then you're going to push it again. And gradually, you're imparting more and more momentum until a point at which the momentum begins to accelerate the flywheel on itself. And if someone questions you to say, well, which of the previous 100 pushes, you know, were responsible for getting this to spin so quickly, you can't really point to anything. And I, I can't help but feel that when I when you look at 5G as uh, the ingredients providing this ubiquitous near-real-time near connectivity that we see being confirmed by ongoing deployments, I think it has the potential to start this flywheel to massively optimize services and eventually change the way we perceive the world around us. Now, you could say that if we have very fast connectivity across many types of connected devices, that will facilitate a tremendous amount of analytics that may, first of all, they may identify future use cases. So I'll give you an example. You look at uh, services like Facebook, for instance, or Twitter that are relying on 4G networks to provide content to their subscribers, video, voice communications, et cetera. Perhaps tomorrow, leveraging 5G network capabilities, sensing data could be integrated along to better target advertising. And that's not a, as much of an exciting use case per se. But you look at a company like Facebook, they've invested in purchasing Oculus Rift with, with a clear intention, I, I believe, to possibly monetize low latency, higher bandwidth services, along with mobility that will help them uh, uh, integrate uh, and broaden the experience that they offer their, their subscribers and their users. So I think we will see a lot more experimentation that's going to build on the trend we see already where smart devices that are in your home, at your workplace, on the road, are going to broaden the way in which consumers interact with each other and larger networks of connected services. So it's this context of a, of a flywheel that I think speaks to your, to your point about, this is going to be a sequence of gradual changes as opposed to some sort of magical panacea for any problem. However, to tie this back to the topic that we've mentioned or I've mentioned before in terms of changes induced by the response to the pandemic, I think workforce mobility is um, one area, the response we had in this uh, in the United States shows lasting changes. And various surveys have been done over the last uh, five or six months. But what strikes me is that uh, repeatedly you find out that professionals are giving the 
professionals, given the opportunity to work from home, are willing to relocate with large double digit percentage uh, numbers of respondents indicating that they will consider relocating if the companies let them work from home and they can pick the location. And in terms of quality of life, in terms of uh, access to nature, enjoyment of bigger, broader spaces, et cetera, I think rural, rural communities are a prime candidate for this. And we see those trends already. I think you look at the anecdotal surveys that have been circulating for the past several months and you learn more about how people tend to leave dense urban areas like New York City or uh, the Bay Area or Seattle and migrate, literally migrate to much more sparsely populated parts of the country. And I think it's the, the combination of these effects, you know, the workforce mobility changes, the flywheel effect that is going to be facilitated by 5G that are going to really get together, come together and transform the way in which we live, we work and we play. And I'm very excited about this because I think it's um, an opportunity to help realize this vision, but also be part of the transformation as it occurs. George, I think that's a, a great way to think about it is this process. And uh, what did Collins write? Uh, Faith in the end game helps you live through the months or years of buildup. So, Sean, I sense that you like uh, Collins as well, not just uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, this is eventually going to become a podcast about economics. But for now, uh, we're still focused on, on 5G. So I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, answer that question. Will 5G change the world? Thank you. Will 5G Change the World is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean Kenny. Thanks for listening.